Good evening and welcome to Grafted and Messiah. I'm your host, Gil Burgos. Tonight is July 26, 2022, and we're coming at you with a live show. Adonai, 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 Adonai,
and now your host. All right. Welcome back. This is Gil Burgos. Tonight we have an interesting topic. We're going to be talking about does the word Jewish refer to a race or religion? Does the word Jewish refer to a race or religion? All right, I'm going to start this article by just going from the top. I'm going to dive right into this. It says, it can be difficult to define what it means to be Jewish. People may assume that being Jewish means that one is a physical descendant of the ancient Jewish people. But there is much more to consider. Being Jewish can be defined in terms of religion, race, culture, and nationality. Any one or more of the very definitions may apply to a given individual, but all of them are not all Jews. To speak of being Jewish religiously means that one follows the Torah or the Mishnah. There are many who do not follow the tenets of Judaism, but who consider themselves cultural Jews, since they observe certain festivals or traditions, albeit in a non-religious way. But there are also converts or proselytes to Judaism, and they too are quote-unquote Jewish, regardless of their background or ethnicity. Now, to a degree, I understand where this is coming from. And if you look around today, there's a lot of people who are converting to Judaism, even African-Americans. From back in the old days, Sammy Davis Jr. was one of them that converted to Judaism. Today, a modern-day rapper named Nassim Black has converted to Judaism, I believe. And there are many others, not only black people, but Spanish people, also be, also ones that have done it also. I don't know about Asians, but I've seen uh, overseas, I've seen a lot of people online who have made this conversion. Just by what they wear, you can tell that they are converting to uh, Judaism. As, well, as far as like where they have services, you look inside their, their synagogues, they, they have everything that looks like a, like a temple, kind congregating just like any other Jewish uh, congregation. So, you know, it is what it is. People are converting. But is that something that's biblical? That's the key. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because, again, just because somebody does it, does it make it right? Is it biblical? Well, according to Bible Tools, an online source, it refers to Exodus 12 and 48. You can read that. When you get a chance, Exodus 12 and verse 48. Well, actually, you know what? Let me read that. That's just one verse. It says, And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let them come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Okay. Now, according to this common survey, it says this, the Hebrew language lacks an exact equivalent to the Greek noun proselyte, which means a newcomer. However, in the Old Testament, God's law does not allow the ger, usually rendered stranger, to become a full-fledged citizen of Israel. To do this, he needed to become circumcised. And here's another reference again from the same text I just read, Exodus 12, 48. 
So Exodus 12.48 addresses this changing of belief system in reference to the Passover. The stranger wants to keep the Passover. There is no hint of God expecting Israel to seek converts among the heathen by actively preaching to or at them. Here, there is no coercion, subtle or otherwise. The Gentile convert voluntarily gives himself to come under the old covenant. And here we have a reference, Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 7 states the dynamics of this conversion. This is from Charles Whitaker. Charles Whitaker from the, uh, I guess, the article, Prostolism, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, Part 1. Okay, so according to what we're reading here, it's interesting because it's just saying that they're not full-fledged citizens of Israel, people that do that. Okay, so you can follow stuff from the Torah. God doesn't have a problem with that. If you want to act like a Jew and talk like a Jew and walk like a Jew and dress like a Jew, that's fine. Whatever. But deep down, what are you? Are you really who you portray yourself to be? Hmm. That's the key. That's the question. Well, according to this, this article, it says there is only one race, and that is the human race. So to speak of the Jewish race can be problematic. Various courts in the U.S., have ruled that Jewish people classify as a race in order to extend them protections under anti-discrimination laws. But when a Jew filling out a survey, survey or application is faced with a choice of what? Caucasian, American Indian, Hispanic, Asian, Black, or Pacific Islander, he can be any of the above. Using the word Jewish to refer to a specific culture bypasses the religious and racial considerations, but Jewish culture can be elusive to pinpoint as well. The particulars of worship and practice are not common to all Jews. Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardic Jews, for example, practice some different customs, follow slightly different liturgies, and have different accents in their Hebrew pronunciation. Now, what are Ashkenazi Jews? Well, let me read this to you as well. Ashkenazi Jews are descended from the Jews of the Middle Ages who settled in Germany, Poland, Austria, and Eastern Europe. Ashkenaz is a traditional Hebrew word for Germany. If you look at Genesis 10.3 and Jeremiah 51.27, there's two references. You can do your homework and look at that one. And in particular, to the area along the Rhine River. The Ashkenazi Jews are often referred to in distinction to Sephardic Jews who inhibited medieval Spain and Portugal. Again, that's where my ancestors are from, from Spain. In the 20th century, the Holocaust in Germany took a heavy toll on the Ashkenazi population. 
many Ashkenazi Jews emigrated to other countries such as France, the United States, and Israel. When the nation of Israel was established in 1948, the Ashkenazi Jews were the largest group of Jews to settle there. Nearly half of the Jews living in Israel today are Ashkenazic. And it's estimated that 80% of Jews worldwide are Ashkenazic. The Ashkenazi Jews developed the Yiddish language, a mixture of German and Hebrew. That's why they say Shabbos instead of Shabbat or Shabbat. Though Sabbath, they say Shabbos, that's Yiddish. And some unique customs that set them apart from other Jewish subcultures, the Ashkenazi have had, have had long, I'm sorry, the Ashkenazi have long had an impact in the world by making major contributions to science. Albert Einstein is, was Ashkenazic, literature, economics, and the arts. Okay, uh, I'm not going to read any more of this, but when people think of a person they think is Jewish, they think just on the outside, and they think everybody that's white, European, that's Jewish. That's not the truth, because there are different types of Jews, and that's the Sephardim, which come from the Middle East and different parts of the world. When you come to New York, especially in Brooklyn, there are different parts of Brooklyn that they have communities of uh, Orthodox Jews with where the black hats, black coats, and so forth and so on. Borough Park being one of them, and it's probably one of the biggest one. Uh, then you got different sects. You got Chabad, you got the Satmar, you got the Hasidim, and many others that I don't even know. I'm not Ashkenazi, so I wouldn't know. I don't really follow that too much. I just know about it, but I'm not a big person that just follows Ashkenazi. I follow more Sephardi things. So, again, people have this misconception when they see a Jewish person, they expect sometimes to see blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> I guess. A European person, when they see somebody of color, they say, you can't be Jewish, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Again, they come in different shapes, forms, and sizes. And they look different. All right, well, I'm going to take a break here. When I come back, we're going to return with our article, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break.
Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. There's something here I need to read to you. I was just looking at this uh, on the break from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. I want to read the verse, this verse of Scripture before we continue. You're just joining us for the first time. You're listening to Graffiti and Messiah. I'm your host, Gil Burgos. All right. Here we go. We're going to read this right about now. Ladies and gentlemen. All right. It says, surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking. That you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely... This great nation is a, I'm sorry, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? 
for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statues and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourselves lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Amen and amen to that. Well, there's a commentary that follows that verse, and I'm going to read that to you. According to the, uh, the author here, it says, Gentiles observing the results of Israel's obedience to God's law would be drawn to reject their pagan belief system in favor of God's true religion. There is no reference to God calling these people. Rather, conversion is treated as a fully rational and voluntary choice made when thoughtful pagans recognize the superiority of God's way over their own satanic practices. In other words, Israel's role was to be an example. God did not command missionary activity on the part of ancient Israel. Israel's proselytism was to be nonverbal, as distinct from the overt verbal action of preaching through the written or spoken word. No proselytism through words, but through works, is the God-sanctioned method for ancient Israel. Israel was not so much to preach as it was to obey and to teach. Obeying God's law was an individual responsibility. Teaching that law was a parental duty. Notice verse 9, which stresses both roles. The Old Testament is replete with examples of Gentiles who were won over to Israel by witnessing with unquestioned superiority of God's way to life and subsequently becoming convinced that his way was for them. One early example may be Eliezer of Damascus in Abraham's day, the chief servant in his household. Other examples certainly are Ruth in the period of the judges, Uriah the Hittite in David's day, and Ebed Melech in Jeremiah's time. All these quickly come to mind as gentle, I'm sorry, Gentile converts. Later on, however, Hellenized Jews caught missionary fever and discarded the approach sanctioned by God. Active and far-flung evangelism became the order of the day. Indeed, the first New Testament occurrence of the word proselyte appears, here it is, Matthew 23, 15, where Christ chastises the scribes and Pharisees for the hypocritical approach to spreading the corrupt religion. Let me read that to you. Matthew 23, verse 15 says, Jesus saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. End quote. That is powerful, I'm telling you. So, when you really look at this in the Bible, Jews were called to be a special nation. 
but it's impossible today to define Jewishness according to nationality. For almost 2,000 years, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were a people without a country. And when modern Israel was established in 1948, there were a great many Jews who did not support it. Today, people living in Israel are called Israelis as opposed to Israelites. But there are many Israelis who do not, I'm sorry, who are not Jewish at all. By the same token, most of the Jews in the world are not Israeli citizens. And I, I believe I spoke about this in another podcast that I, when I went to Israel, especially in Tel Aviv, it's very, very secular. If you ask a person on the street if they're religious, they'll say, no, I'm not religious. And they're just very open about it. Do you believe in the Torah? Sure. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. Do you follow kosher diet? No. Do you follow the commandments? No. They live their own lives. They're Israeli. They're not, they're not I mean, they're Jewish because they were born, but they're not saved. <laughs> they're not born again. Remember the story in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, what did Yeshua say? You must be born again. You're the leader of Israel. You know all these things, but you do not know that, you know, all the other stuff, what I'm going to tell you. I'm just paraphrasing. But when you read chapter 3, you come to the realization that being born Jewish or whatever, have Jewish parents, is irrelevant when it comes to God now in the new covenant. It's about being born again of the spirit, not of the flesh. Hallelujah to that. All right, I'm going to finish up this article here. It says, Rabbi Aiden Steinsaltz suggests that the proper way to think of the Jewish people is not as a religion, a race, a culture, or a nation, but as a family. Jews, according to Steinsaltz, are united in that they are extended spiritual and or physical family of Jacob. And that, that is true because... There's a guy on um, YouTube, I think his name is Shlomi. I forgot his last name. He's very, very popular on YouTube now. He travels, and, and uh, you'll find him on YouTube. He's on Instagram as well. And he, when somebody went to his community in Brooklyn, I forgot where, uh, they asked him, you know, there's something about this area here. It seems like it's kind of safe. And like everybody's together. And then uh, he says, How come? Why is that? And he says, You know what? You know why? He says, Because everybody here is family. We, we look at each other like we're family. And that's true because we all come from the same parents, if you really look at it, Adam and Eve. So we're all <laughs> some kind of way related because we got the same mother and father. So what he said is true, but it goes even beyond that. Not just for the Jewish people, but for the human race. We're all tied in together. So to call somebody brother or, or sister, you know, it's, it is what it is. Because we, call, we all come from Adam and Eve. God created man and woman, and that was it. And then one thing led to another, and they had children, and then their children had children. And it went on and on. And before you know it, the human race was established. And that's why you can tell somebody, hey, brother, hey, sister, because they really are. All right, let me finish up here. It says, the Bible is clear that God chose the children of Jacob for a special purpose. Paul, who was himself a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, wrote of his willingness to give up everything, if he could, for the sake 
of his fellow Jews' salvation. In Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Paul writes, I wish, I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, or Torah, the service of God, or Adonai, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ, or Mashiach, came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So Paul is saying, you know, I wish that everyone was saved. That's the bottom line. And they're not. Even in today's modern society, most of the Jews that are secular or most of the Jews that don't know the Lord are not saved. And they know God the Father, they just don't know God the Son. They don't accept God the Son because they don't understand the concept of the theology of the New Testament. Some of them know it, but they sure they go away from it. They don't want to get clear. Broadcasting live worldwide. Sorry about that. <laughs> they don't want to get too close because I think they're afraid of knowing the truth. Some people are just stuck to a point that just, they just, from generation to generation, they don't want to rock the boat, as you might say. So they're like, you know what? I'm comfortable with my religion. I'm comfortable with my tradition. I'm comfortable that my mother and father taught me this way and I'm not changing anything. And that is not good because you have to be born again. You have to be with Yeshua, Jesus, because he said he was the way to God. That's why he came. You can't do it on your own. You can't make it to God on your own. Your merit, your good works. Paul wrote about it in uh, Romans chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, the concept of grace, the concept of works does nothing for us. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb who is Yeshua. Amen. All right, guys. God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'll be back next week. Until the next time I see you, may the Lord richly bless you and yours. And don't forget to visit us on the web at www.graftedinmessiah.org. Check out the podcast. Amen. Uh, here's Jamie Hilson, God is our refuge and strength. The other songs were The Lord is my light and my salvation, and we started with Praise O Jerusalem. All this from Apple Music, Praise to Our God. Amen. And don't forget, hit me up on Instagram, Grafted and Messiah.
Thank you. Thanks for listening. Facebook.